Good afternoon. We're back again with another episode of Contextualize. It's been a been a minute. Is that what they say? It's been a hot minute. A hot minute. I don't know. I don't know. I know. If that. you say hot minutes, you're already ninety. You're so nineties. <laughs> I I can't keep up. I'm already too old for that. So yeah, you're such a tool. You've got you've got. <laughs> Man, first time I've been offended by Jim on on live air here. Well, I can keep coming, and and whatever I say, it's 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 real. I've learned it from teenagers, but I can't do it in its context, right. so it won't make any sense. Was, was that a transition to contextualize? <laughs> yeah, no. That's good. Oh. Uh, there's our small talk. We did it. Well, we, we're in the heat, and that's nice. Last week, we didn't have any heat uh, anywhere in the building, so it's good to be back here for was, that. And it was great to be back together. And In fact, some of you listening may have been able to read the note I put out for our congregational meeting. I mean, email, excuse me, um, which also included info about a congregational meeting, but just what it felt like to be in this building for weeks with kind of just creaky, cold. And when it's creaky and cold, don't turn the lights on. So our whole first floor has been just like the place we had to walk. Yeah. And we could see our breath. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I mean, we really have a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. That the building's in good shape. None of the water pipes froze. We we did what we could to, to preserve that, but it's nice to be back together. Yeah, it is very nice. I I really enjoyed your email today. So, y'all listening. Yeah, I encourage you to read it. It's just a little, it's maybe a little bit more of just my heart as opposed to saying here's a preparatory email for you to read for the sermon or about a lot of announcements. Just what I was thinking and feeling. Um, one thing to that end, though, in case people aren't able to read that, is we're going to seek to put a handful more chairs down in the front room uh, this Lord's Day, and um, just we do want you to please. Look out for folks who may, maybe unfamiliar to you. Maybe it's their first time here. We just had a, a neat sudden surprise after three weeks worshiping in other places that there weren't seats for folks in our sanctuary. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, there may be a chair here or there in each row between family units, but we have about 180 chairs in there. And when you include the children before they went out of class, it was pretty crowded. Yeah. Um, so just be uh, be aware of that. And we're going to try to make it so that the front room also can feel like a room that can inhabit a critical mass of people and make yeah. it beautiful and singing will be joyous. And so, yeah. Less than ideal, but a beautiful thing to have Still, to navigate. Right. Good to, to be in there together. Yep. So, well, um, man, let's jump in. Um, it has been a little bit, and we're, we're going to jump in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, and this is a, a short chapter, but um, as Jim and I were talking before this, we were like, oh, like we know the, the godly grief, the, the worldly grief section. And then we kind of looked through the chapter, and at least for me, I was like, oh, I didn't realize what was before and after that uh, in context. And so I was helped by that. And so what we'll do is is we'll just we'll kind of talk through the beginning and end of this chapter because Paul's talking about the same thing there, and then we'll come to the middle after that. So um, with that, um, yeah. Well, Well, yeah, and maybe I can help us then transition because— The text, the section of the text we'll, we'll spend some time on in a bit is really about repentance and grief and lack of regret, but just real deep churning uh, in the heart of a, of a restored sinner. Okay, yeah. that's, that's, We'll talk about that in a second. What was surprising, I think, as we both read it is Paul is, is really willing to talk about something that's brought him joy. Yeah. Um, very particular things. And so in the very first part of the chapter... 
Um, and the last part of the chapter, he's going to talk about how special it was for him to receive news from his friend and disciple Titus mm-hmm. about what was going on in the hearts of the Corinthian people. Right. And what that did for him, what it did for Titus. And it's almost just like this partnership in the gospel, very personal joy yeah. is what he brings brings out. Yeah, and um, right. If, if anybody's looking at that, um, as you read it, you may notice that. I mean, this sounds like how Paul opened the letter, um, right? Just back in chapter one, right? Blessed be the God and Father, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we've been given by God. Um, and he comes back to that same, those same exact things. Um, verse four: I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. Verse 5, uh, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. And then that's where he transitions and starts talking about Titus, like you were saying. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so... Uh, can I go further? Yeah. Uh-huh. Verse yep. 13, therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice more at the joy, or, you know, the comfort of Titus. So mm-hmm. everybody's experiencing comfort in the gospel right now. Yeah. And, and an affliction that goes along external. With it. Like there's there's the external affliction but then the comfort um, relationally, re- comfort theologically, I, I, you know, like that yeah. it's not good times <laughs> in some ways, but they're comforted, they're they're joyous together. Underneath the comfort, which is the emotion of the text, I think, you you go in, in verse 3, he says, you know, I've told you before, you're in our hearts. We, we mm-hmm. die together, we live together, we're for you, but I've had to be bold with you, yeah. is really what he's saying there in four. I have a I have pride in what God's doing among you, but I've had to be bold with you, yeah. and now I'm just filled with overflowing joy because of what I've heard when Titus brought back news. Not just that you're experiencing comfort in the gospel, but that you also have thoughts toward me that are not harder or worse than they are because I had to be very strong with you. Yeah. And so it just kind of pulls to the surface, at least for me, the other parts of the, the New Testament, Paul will talk about the anxiety he has for the churches, right. the right. weight and the burden. And he is essentially showing us what it feels like in his heart to find out that the people he had to be very direct with in his pastoral counseling. Yeah. Um, they think well of the work that God's done through him. And I mean, I don't, I don't think I need to elaborate too much personally, but just to say this makes a lot of sense to me when I've heard that someone was talked to in in tough love of one kind or another, Uh um, hopefully in a context of mutual repentance, but hard things happen in the church. Hard conversations happen in a church that's going to have the gospel at our core. Sinners who repent to each other because of sin done to each other or because of a grid that's not been healthy and the effect of that. It happens. Yeah. And what does it feel like when we come out on the other side and say, I cannot tell you how comforted I was when I, when I received that note from you or yeah. when, when we locked eyes and gave each other out. You don't know how, how important this hug is to me. I've heard yeah. people say that. I think that's what he's saying here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think one thing to add to that is it's, it's always helpful, especially with a guy like Paul, um, to remember uh, the humanity of the situation. And, and just like, like this, he he literally in history wrote this letter, and I don't know. Sometimes it can, not that we would disagree with that, but we can maybe move past that quickly. But just to think, I mean, he's saying, uh, verse eight, he's going to say, even if I made you grieve with my letter. So he wrote them a letter. It caused them grief, and and that was hard. I mean, like it, it 
right? That That's not an easy thing to do. But after that, verse 6, Titus came to Paul and, and there was comfort that God brought to Paul through Titus coming to him. Like, just I think just seeing some of the relational reality well, and um, there. It's good for us to imagine it. I right. think that's that's what you're doing yeah, a little yeah. bit, and and so to say, if I've ever had to, to deliver a letter, or someone delivered it to me, or and it would, maybe it's not a letter, it's an email, or maybe it's a phone call, or a face to face discussion, and you're not sure how that relationship's going to be after that, point. right? Yeah, like what's this going to do? So the other thing that's underneath all this is time has passed. Yeah, and he, you know, he doesn't, he's not able to text or see happy faces on social media, or you know, he, it's just silence. Yeah. And he's just waiting on news of how are things now? And I stuck my neck out and I said some hard things. And if I've ever done that, I've also thought, gosh, where did I cross a line? Was it my opinion or did, did the, was the Holy Spirit guiding my words? What, what are they thinking now? This is what he's going through. And I think the description is really apt in verse five Mm -hmm. that our affliction at every turn, it feels like fighting without and fears within. That's a pretty often repeated phrase. I'm not sure if everyone has heard that before, but I think it's very descriptive of it. And maybe to parallel it to someone doing a, a job in the marketplace, it could be any job. A lot of times we make work for ourselves in whatever our calling is. Sometimes you show up and you know exactly what you have to do. It's on a list or it's the same thing every day. But for a lot of jobs, or certainly in pastoral ministry, you, you create your hardships by doing what you believe you're called to do. Mm-hmm. If you just do nothing, Probably won't have hardships, yeah. you know. Uh, should I speak to that person? Should I not? Should I just right. let it go? If I don't do it, uh, there's probably not a hardship. But if I do it, right, I have this fighting without. As far as now, there's a, ten- a tension of one kind or another. But he, I think he's honest here when he says fears within. Yeah. I mean, that's what we all. That's the humanity aspect of what you're saying. Right. Right. Um, now I've got my own inter- internal turmoil and external trial. This is what yeah. he's talking about. Yeah. And then Titus comes. Yeah, and um, in verse seven. Right. What did Titus do at the end of verse seven? He, Titus, told us of your, the Corinthians longing, your, the Corinthians mourning, your Corinthians zeal for Paul. And so like just to see like what Titus's report, like he, he shares with Paul about the Corinthians longing, mourning and zeal for Paul. Um, and, and part of that is their response to his letter, right? And the, kind of how they responded, which we'll get into here in the middle, uh, here in a minute. But part of it is, I mean, he, he wrote a hard letter to them. But after, you know, as the Lord worked through that, they, they're they longing for him. They they have zeal for him. Like they're still, <laughs> they're not just mad at him. Correct. And we're going to see more of those same words come up in the center section of the chapter. Uh, allow me to give an example of, you tied it to chapter one already. That's a propositional statement. Actually, it's a doxology. Paul says, blessed be the God who comforts us mm-hmm. in our affliction that we can then comfort others. So he's kind of giving a propositional statement about how comfort works among the people of God, and he's doing it in the form of worship, I think. Yeah. Now, here in this chapter, he's going to basically say that it's not just a proposition. And we can say we go to a church that comforts people. <laughs> we can say we right, go to a church that right. holds truth high. Right. But when it really comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, it's usually in relational situations of real honesty, of pain, of speaking words that leave a, a lack of comfort or bring comfort, but yeah. it takes time for them to be processed. Um, and so 
I love that this letter is not just propositional statements that we would all agree with, that God comforts us when we comfort others. Yeah. No, the actual process of comforting is really hard. Yeah. The process of navigating this kind of growth is really hard. Yeah. And so Titus is almost the middleman here. And I think Paul even imagines what's it like for Titus. Right. And he does say something to that effect in 13. Right. I rejoice that you brought joy to Titus. Yeah. Because he had a really hard yeah. role. Right. His spirit has been refreshed by you all. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I was just looking at 14. Whatever boasts I made to Titus about you, I was not put to shame. So also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And so... Um, but that's, it's interesting to me because it wasn't that long ago that we were in first Corinthians as a church and not the most enjoyable upbeat letter in, in the new Testament. Right. And, and Paul says some hard things and, uh, but just to hear, I mean, he actually says, I boasted to Titus about you. And he said, and, and for Titus, he found that to be true. That's fantastic. Um, he remembers the obedience of you all. And so, um, just to see, <laughs> Yeah. So because I'm on crutches and I can actually figure out a way to get my hot coffee cup from that room into this room, but it's a little precarious. And so AJ's made a comment or two, internship task, you know, as you brought the coffee in. (laughs) And I appreciate that. But I don't think I, to this day yet, have said, hey, I had a really hard conversation with that person in the church. Would you please go ask them how they are doing based on Jim's hard conversation (laughs) with them? Uh, that's kind of the yeah, situation yeah, Titus was in. Right, you right. know, Paul's like, hey, God's called me to other things over here. So would you be the one to go? go and I and, want you to minister to them. I've right. told them about you. You know about, you know, I've boasted about you to them. Um, what a hard thing. Yeah. And so just to kind of bring it down to right. our level, it's a fascinating scene. But but really what I want to make sure we do spend some good time thinking through is, is the word mourning mm-hmm. as well as kind of zeal, Mm -hmm. that kind of language starts to really show up in the middle of the book. So Titus did come back and he said, listen, they're for you, Paul. They love you, but they're mourning. And Paul says, I'm so glad to hear that you grieved in a certain way. Right. So let's go into that section, which is the more prominent part of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So verse eight, right. He wrote a letter that grieved him. And then verse nine, um, he talks about um, kind of a, a worldly grief. Some have called it or just um, right not oh sorry uh, not because you were grieved in that way but because you were grieved into repenting he's talking about a godly grief um, you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us and he's going to unpack right what is godly grief um, and I, this has been super helpful for me personally as well as in other conversations with folks of just thinking through what is you know if we receive a harsh a hard, not harsh a hard word uh, from a friend, um, you know, even thinking of Proverbs, the wounds of a friend, um, well, I don't know, if don't know how, are good. Uh, that's my paraphrase, I guess. But um, how do we respond to those kind of things? Um, and there's a godly way, there's a godly grief, but then there's also um, a worldly grief, which we'll talk about. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we could even, we have to start with what grief is. It, yeah. It's not... Um, it's not just a momentary sadness. I and mean, what Paul is describing here is a very real, deep sorrow yeah. for sin, because that's what we repent of, we repent of sin, um, that prompts one to, to just deep burdensome regret. Yeah. And what he says here is, is, is if you have a, 
a worldly version of grief, it just leads to death. Yeah. Uh, you, you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to feel the sorrow. You're going to have hate that it happened. And it's going to lead you into a dark cul-de-sac of sadness. And yeah. that's really the end of it is you grieve for the sake of grief. Right. There's no out to it. There's nothing. Right. And so I think the challenge here of the godly grief, when he says godly grief leads to repentance and salvation without <clears throat> regret. Yeah. That's there in verse 9 and 10. What a wild mm-hmm. description of grief. Mm-hmm. Grief that leads to change. Right. That's repenting and turning. That's what repenting means. And grief that leads to salvation. Salvation means we place our faith in the one who bore the curse and the cost of our sin that we're repenting of. And then he says, if it's a grief that leads to salvation, then it's a grief that comes without regret. Without regret, yeah. Which is absolutely fascinating because in some regards, it's regret and sorrow that is consistent with the experience of godly grief. Right. But somehow the other end of it, the other end of a process of grief, of godly grief, yeah, there's no regret. Right. Though there would have been a regret at the beginning because yeah. one is saying, I shouldn't have. Well, it's, it's interesting because back in verse 8, Paul says, uh, I wrote this letter that made you grieve. I do not regret it. But then he adds, though I did regret it <laughs> for a little while because I saw that it grieved you. And so he had this momentary uh, regret about that. Um, but as he, I don't know, I guess he, as he saw and entrusted what the Lord was doing through it, that regret left. Um, it's just interesting that he, he says it there. and then Well, he does say at one point, he says, I... I I don't want my letter to make you afraid. You yeah. Know? Um, and, and so, like, I think the first regret he had was, what, what, what's going to be the net result of this? They're going to yeah. be afraid of me. Right. And he doesn't want that. But then he saw that it, it led to a freedom. Because that's what salvation is. Yeah. Freedom from sin. Yeah. Freedom from the cost of sin because it was laid on our Savior. And so I think that then he goes further and says, all right, salvation. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief just produces sorrow, just death, right. just there's no hope in it. Yeah. But a godly grief produces a hope-filled repentance. Uh-huh. And then in verse 11, I love it. Right. He starts giving all these descriptions of passion. Yeah. Uh, I would call them words of life. Yeah. So after godly grief has brought one through repentance to a salvation without regret, now all of a sudden he describes the people that experience that as being earnest. Mm-hmm. That's such a life-reflecting word. Eager to clear themselves, verse 11. In, indignant about sin, I think. Yeah. You know, um, They have fear, they have longing, they have zeal. Yeah. And I think, again, he's illustrating a godly grief leads to life. Right. Right. And all sorts of new passions of, of spiritual health as opposed to just self-loathing hatred for what sin calls you to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things this whole section, I think, should force us to ask um, is, is why are we, like, why am I grieved? Like, if, if I'm grieved by sin in my own life or someone else's life, or if I'm grieved when someone, um, kind of rebukes and corrects and right. Speaks that hard, but necessary word to me. Um, like why, why am I sad about it? And, um, right. The worldly grief, the worldly sadness, mourning, 
um, may just simply be sad that somebody else found out about it and that we have to suffer consequences. Um, and that like, it's, it's not really sadness over the sin because sadness over the sin is going to lead to repentance, which he describes as godly grief. And so I think if we're, if we're genuinely sad, like if we're sad in the Lord, um, that's going to be a sadness of about the sin and and it's going to lead to repentance and salvation, uh, without regret. Um, and so that's, I don't know, that's just a way that I've, I guess I've asked a question through this of why am I sad about this? Is it godly or is it worldly? It's, it's fascinating to think through that example of the number of things we could grieve about that are actually worldly, right. even though we're sad, right. even though it's real grief. Well, I mean, it's a real feeling. It's yeah. an emotion. Someone else found out about it, or now my life is complicated, or you know, these relationships aren't the same as they were when everything was before that moment. We can grieve all those things and it be a worldly grief because there is no hope on the other side because we can't undo what we did. Right, right. So, yeah, David, Psalm 51, against you only have I sinned. Mm -hmm. Psalm 32, David saying the bones in my body Mm -hmm. feel like they want to break. And I'm doing it because I know my sin is against my creator. Yeah. So then a person that is genuinely grieving sin gets to the place of saying, what can I do? Yeah. This is Paul in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death because I can't not do what I've done. I can't yeah. fix it. And just being angry and mad about it doesn't bring hope. Yeah. And then right. the answer to that question would be, thanks be to God. Yeah. Which means now I realize a deeper love from my Savior. He knew all my sins, past, present, and future, and Christ paid the price for him. Therefore, I'm experiencing new freedom, and now suddenly I don't even have regret. Doesn't mean I'm not sorrowing for sin mm-hmm. but i don't regret because now i see a bigger picture of who my savior is and i'm i'm less full of shame than before yeah. i had this experience of restoration it, yeah it's, it's quite astounding yeah um i think the other thing this makes me think of is that it's maybe at some point or some some point in our maturity or whatnot um Right, we understand sin, but at some point, I mean, maybe it's a specific sin or just sin in general. You understand, like, it grieves you more than it used to. Like, right, as as the Lord matures us, as we grow in love of Him, like, sin grieves us more and more. Like, it should because we see it more for what it is. We see Him more who He is. Um, But part of what Paul's saying here is that the knowledge of sin in our own life should produce grief, but that's not the end. If that's the end... There's no redemption in that. Right. There's no, that's not Christian grief. So but true. that knowledge of sin leads us to grief over the sin, which leads us to Christ and repentance and joy in him and comfort from him. You know, all, all that. Which, so it's like he's go, the end. Let's go full circle then. Okay. That's the way the book started. So then those who've experienced godly grief are yeah. actually most equipped to comfort others in their affliction. In their, yeah. Because I don't deserve to be restored from my affliction. Right. And I get right. more now than before this experience who the God of all comfort and rescue is. And then we share that. And then right. Paul's made it very earthy when he starts naming Titus. And he starts, mm-hmm. you know, he's got specific situations in mind. Yeah. So, I mean, there is no escaping biblical theology, gospel centered theology. Is inherently communal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. This chapter doesn't make any sense without community. 
No, it doesn't. <laughs> There's nothing. Not, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a great chapter. I, I think, I won't say specifics, but it may come to your mind that you've heard at least me talk about this a few times. We've had membership interviews where we've had folks lean into these verses as a part of their testimony of what do you do when you've made mistakes in your pre-converted self or as a sinner that's now being sanctified and others remind you of your sin. How can you, how can you live with yourself because you did that? How can mm. you, hmm. how can you move forward past this when you made such a big mess and you hurt so many people? Mm-hmm. This is a great text to turn yeah. to, to say, no, I don't have to hide and act like that didn't happen. In fact, right. it gets to the point not that we polish our story so much we're trying to make bad things sound beautiful. Right. <laughs> sin is sin. Right. But it gets to the point where we can say, that is my story. And I almost don't regret it having happened because of who I've become when I was in need of such rescue. Mm-hmm. So it, it breeds a real honesty, um, mm-hmm. especially when somebody could remind us of what we once were. Yeah. And, and we continue to grieve what we once were, but we're so thankful. Right. We don't regret that that's what right. God used to show us the beauty of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. There's such a trust in the Lord that yeah. right the that sin and the grief that He brought through it is is the means by which He brought us to Tremendous Himself. freedom. Yeah. So let's well, turn it into counsel, and then we'll close up. Should you be ministering to a brother or sister in Christ in our church, or any brother and sister in Christ, and they're struggling? I am 100% successfully impotent at convincing someone to to grieve for sin mm-hmm. by my own words. Yeah. I can make people feel right. guilty and it will not go well. Yeah. I would just encourage you to keep a bookmark in 2 Corinthians 7. It is a beautiful thing to give to someone who's wrestling with the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sorrow for sin. Mm-hmm. Let the Lord use his word in their life and Use this as an example of how there is comfort on the other side. Yeah. But let the word be what helps you paint a picture for someone else about how repentance could look. That's good. That's good. All right. See you next week. Yeah. Have a great week.